Carolyn Godschild Miller holds a Ph.D. in experimental psychology and has taught at both graduate and undergraduate levels for more than 20 years. A researcher, she trains psychologists in scientific methodology and has authored numerous professional articles. She and her husband, Arnold Weiss, are founding directors of the Los Angeles-based Foundation and Institute for the Study of A Course in Miracles. She is also the author of Soulmates, Following Inner Guidance to the Relationship of Your Dreams. She lives in Los Angeles. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here, Anthony. Well, I'm glad to have you. And I wanted to ask you, is God's Child really your middle name? <laughs> God's Child is a spiritual name, which was okay. given to me in meditation. Because you've started this foundation, tell me about A Course in Miracles first, before we get into talking about your book, because we're here to talk about creating miracles. Right. Well, A Course in Miracles is a wonderful uh volume that was channeled by a psychologist at Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center in New York in the 1960s with the help of her chairperson. Um, And they took down this material from dictation they believed from Jesus. I believe, too, from Jesus. (laughs) And uh, it was published by a foundation that was set up to do only that. Uh, with the restriction that it never be advertised um, and that it be given away free to anybody who wanted it. So it's been sort of an underground sensation, um, although not an above-ground sensation. And it's actually probably a little too intellectual for a lot of people. It's tough reading. It's uh, fairly complex concepts. But absolutely incredible quality of, of material and insight. And, mm. you know, there's not many places you can go and have Jesus instruct you on your spiritual path. <laughs> well, <so>. that's <laughs> very true. Yeah. Um, what is it? A, uh, so what are the basic tenets? Can you outline them? You know, it would be very complicated uh, even to try and do that. But the idea really is that we are living in a dream, um, that we are projecting what we take to be our reality from our minds and usually from the part of our mind the Course calls the ego, which is um, a part that is basically dedicated to keeping people in fear. And so the Course bills itself as the escape from fear. So an escape from fear. Yes. An escape from fear through learning to discipline your mind to think with the higher part of your mind, which the Course calls the Holy Spirit, um, rather than the lower part that is dedicated to screwing up your life, (laughs) basically. Um, And the idea, you know, Jesus says that this is what he learned to do under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. and To release himself from fear. To release himself from fear and from illusion in general. So this is how people become enlightened, how they become awakened, and you couldn't have a better teacher. (laughs) I'm curious about your psychology experience. Are you still teaching psychology? I'm not teaching it at present, um, but uh, as you mentioned earlier, I did for quite a number of years. I started out in experimental psychology, um, doing research on motivation and emotion, doing brain studies with rats and... Uh, things of that sort, 
Um, I also became a licensed clinical psychologist, and I guess I've always been interested in the possibility of expanding people's understanding of psychology into the realms of spirituality. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's pretty well known that most psychotherapy, for instance, will help a person become better adjusted. You know, good psychotherapy can do that. Um, but there isn't really much of a concept in psychology as yet of all that a human being could be, of what it would be to truly be a person who was at peace all the time and loving all the time. You know, that seems well beyond what psychologists ordinarily attempt to achieve. Well, right. You know, and there's there is one individual actually who I saw recently, and I mean like five years ago, and that was His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Uh-huh. And he is really quite an extraordinary person. Yes. Um, and he also, I think, uh, comes to... I don't want to go into necessarily talking about Buddhist tenets here, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Um, he also talks about, in his way, about the transparency of oneself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and um, it's curious to me, I want to come back for just a moment to talking about the ego and how, what did you say with regard to fear? Well, the Course explains that um, some of the children of God, you know, of which we are some, uh, had a crazy idea that what would it be like not to be in heaven, not to be in the presence of God, not to be immersed in love, not to uh, know that you were eternally safe. And so at the level of imagination, really, we created a dream about what that would be like. We couldn't create those circumstances in reality because God is reality. (laughs) Um, But we could imagine, we could dream. And that's essentially what we did. And the ego is the part of the mind that we specialized to maintain the illusion that love is distant, hard to find. You know, God is, maybe he exists, maybe he doesn't. Um, it's but the that free what's, will. Yeah, but what's real is fear. What's real is that you're constantly uh, worried about uh, threats to your abundance, uh, f- you know, threats to your self-esteem, uh, you know, even physical threats from terrorists and everybody else. Right. So we have created in our minds the illusion of a world that is frightening and ultimately very unrewarding. Because, if only taken from that vantage point. Right. Because it because the whole focus on the ego's point of view excludes love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the course is about helping us reestablish our connection with love and remember who we really are and that in fact we never left heaven and that we're having nightmares here. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially. So it tries to lead you. Uh, from creating a nightmare to creating a happy dream where there is love and there is fulfillment. Um, Mm -hmm. And the last step would be recognizing your unity with God. One of the things that... um, uh, Do you know of a man named Robert Thurman? Um, I've heard of a psychologist named Robert Thurman. He was an instructor at Columbia University and is one of the Dalai Lama's uh, first practitioners in the West, and he's, very, he's fluent in Tibetan. He has a, a set of CDs 
called the Jewel Tree of Tibet. Mm -hmm. And he says one of the reasons that the Buddha says that we are in this realm of illusion is to develop a maturity mm -hmm. so that we are not coming from such an infantile place yes. about there's a big daddy and he's in charge and he's a you know a mean big daddy Cheative, and, yes <laughs> you know what an interesting what an interesting model we are growing up with in this culture about the puritan uh interpretation of a vengeful god yes that's such a curious thing to me well you know the course says that the ego promotes that idea because the ego's assignment is to keep us from remembering God and remembering heaven. And the best way to do that is to make God fearful. Oh. So the ego always, I mean, even, even people who feel that they really love God and are very devoted to God, um, I think often are motivated by a fear of God, a fear that God is this punitive power that, you know, will get right. them in the end. Right. Have you heard about this evangelist? And I'm, uh, forgive me, I've, I, I've forgotten his name, but he's in Texas or Oklahoma. And he finally came to the conclusion that there isn't any hell. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> and, oh, it's amazing. And he was excommunicated, in a sense, from the, sure. um, from the community of uh, evangelicals. Yeah, he'd have to be. Because that's one of the primary points, primary points of leverage yes. to, to, uh, to bring people into that momentum of spirituality is through fear. Yes, and, the, and you know, it leads to this dualistic idea that there's God on the one hand that is love, and then there's an evil force, a devil, on the other hand, that opposes God, and somehow mm -hmm, these mm -hmm. two are in this contest. And if you think about it deeply, it really doesn't make much sense. I mean, right. if you were God and you were the creator of the universe, why would you be creating a force to oppose you? How could that fo force oppose you? Well, I think How, about why would you want to judge your children rather than just love them? <laughs> oh, right, right. And, and I'm yet also thinking about um, oh, a term that Alan Watts used called the Yetzahara. I'm not familiar with that. Um, and there's also, it's a Hebrew term called uh, the tendency to irreductible rascality. <laughs> and it's kind of the dark side. And I talked to a friend of mine who's an Episcopal minister, and he said, well, it's like there's, you know, the, the little devil sitting on one yes. shoulder and the angel sitting yes. on the other. Yes. And we have a choice. And the Course would say that this is an imaginary dilemma that we're in, that we have made up evil to keep ourselves in this frightening illusion and that if we could penetrate illusion and see only what is there what we would see is the world that God created which is perfect mm -hmm. and loving and supportive um, you know without our distortions placed upon it we would realize that we were in heaven and always had been I have a story for you at, at I was outside a friend of mine's coffee shop, and, and my ego had gotten me in trouble yet again. And I'm <laughs> Don't going, do that. Well, all right, God. Um, we have an ego. What, what purpose is it? And what came through was that it was a portal, hmm. that it was like an interface mm -hmm. between spirituality and the world as we know it. And I went, oh, that's very interesting. So there's all this artificial appending of identity. Yes. Yes, we identify with our ego. So we I think it's us. If I can be purely Anthony and, and not have 
and, and it's like a doorway or a window. And mm -hmm. if I and if I can if I can be purely Anthony, mm -hmm. there really isn't any Anthony. Then there's only spirit that comes through. There's spirit that that manifests as you in your uniqueness. Um, but yes, and the the course is largely about helping people understand that there are two states of mind they can be in, the one they're ordinarily in, which is fraught with fear and resentment and turmoil, or a state of really complete inner peace that the Course calls miracle-mindedness. And it points out that when we remain, or for as long as we remain in a state of miracle-mindedness, miracles happen around us naturally, and it's like the universe is supporting us, is providing whatever we need, is snatching us from the jaws of disaster. Um, well, and you go into this in your book at yes. some significant length. Yes. You know, and we're going to have to take a break here in just a second. But um, uh, do you know Marianne Williamson? I do know her. I don't know her well. Because she has been really uh, also very... Uh, a, a strong advocate of she The Course is, in Miracles. Yes, she is one of the premier exponents, I believe, of the yeah. Course. Well, we're talking with Carolyn God's Child Miller. I'm Anthony Wright, and you're listening to Attunement. And we're back. I'm Anthony Wright, and I'm talking with my guest, Carolyn God's Child Miller. So, Carolyn, you've just come out with this new book, Creating Miracles, and it's called A Practical Guide to Divine Intervention. How did you get interested in miracles? <laughs> Well, yes, it does seem like a strange thing for an experimental psychologist to be interested in. Um, I can't imagine what your colleagues must have thought at the time. <laughs> but, I mean, it's a, it's a valid... Th I mean, you've experienced miracles, have yes. you not? Yes, and actually that's, how, that's partly how my interest began. I, I had become a student of A Course in Miracles before this incident occurred, but basically I was driving in the mountains above Los Angeles and my car had a blowout going around a turn oh on some black ice. And basically what happened is my car hurtled across the other lane of traffic and was skidding over a cliff, <laughs> which was a short distance away. And what happened was time slowed down for me. And I found that I had the leisure to have all kinds of thoughts about what was going on and... Uh, ultimately felt guided through the experience by an inner voice which told me exactly how to drive and steer this way and for how, how long and so on. And there was plenty of time to do this. There's plenty of time. And I felt perfectly calm. I mean, I realized that, uh -huh. you know, almost certainly my car was going to go over that cliff and I was going to die. But it just seemed like an interesting thing to sort of follow the advice of this inner guide and, and do what it was telling me to do. And my car, I was able to get it back under control and steer away from, you know, the edge at the last moment. But in a way, the most remarkable thing about the experience was the complete feeling of inner peace I had, even in the face of knowing that I was about to die. So what happened was I mentioned it to my friend and spiritual teacher, Carmela Corallo, the next week, and she said, you know, that's funny. The same thing happened to me this week. Oh, no. and, and what had happened to her was she was climbing on some bluffs above the ocean uh, near her house. And the path fell away on either side of her. And, you know, here's this not particularly athletic 40-year-old woman who is now having to climb straight up the face of the bluff. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, and she, too, went into it completely peaceful, 
altered state of consciousness where time expanded, where she felt, you know, there was always a place to go. And she was, you know, she quite easily actually climbed all the way to the top and was fine. And again, she was very impressed with the fact that she was so at peace, although she believed, you know, she might be dead in a few minutes. So I mentioned this to one of my graduate psychology classes because I thought that was a remarkable coincidence. And a woman named Karen came up after class and said, uh, well, gee, Carolyn, it would have been all right even if you'd gone over the cliff. That's what happened to me. (laughs) And she told me about driving with her boyfriend in the Rocky Mountains at night, driving straight over a cliff, plunging into the darkness below, and both of them being in this sort of, you know, perfectly peaceful, calm, almost amused state of consciousness as they waited to die a moment later. And what happened was uh, their car splashed down in a beaver pond that was just deep enough to break its fall. So they eventually climbed out onto the roof and sat there singing songs till another motorist noticed their skid marks and went and got help. Oh, my goodness. Their car was towed out of the pond, absolutely fine, started right up. They were completely unhurt. And... The kicker was that all of the local people who gathered at the scene said that they passed that place daily and there had never been a beaver pond there before. So, really? So now I had these three <clears throat> bizarre incidents that uh-huh. all seemed to be very much cut from the same cloth. And since I was reading A Course in Miracles at the time, I couldn't help noticing that going into this state of complete surrender and inner peace is what the Course, and in fact, many other spiritual traditions recommend you do if you want a miracle. So from then, as I began mentioning it to more audiences, you know, almost invariably, somebody would come up afterward and say, you know, the same thing happened to me. And there were stories Uh of people who, you know, were menaced by terrorists and rapists. And um, I know you have a story of this lady who just recently was... uh uh, carjacked and, uh, and and uh, kidnapped and taken to her home, and she was able to talk the guy into surrendering. Yes. And, would, and didn't she get some uh, medal? And, and well, yes. This is um, this is a story from the news actually about a year ago. Um, I'm trying to think of the woman's name right now. It'll come back to me. Um, but yes, uh, a man who had been on trial for. Uh, rape and aggravated sodomy escaped and shot four people in the course of the escape. Was it Ashley? Ashley, thank you. Ashley Smith. Mm -hmm. Be familiar to most people. Um, And this man eventually wound up pulling a gun on her, um, entering her apartment. And she also described going into, you know, a peaceful, centered state of consciousness where she found herself communicating with this man in such a way that before long he was confiding in her. He was asking her advice. Um, She was advising him to surrender. She made him pancakes for breakfast, which he was overwhelmed by. Her kindness. Her kindness, her... What she said later was, I didn't judge him. And she had been telling him that she had to meet her daughter at church the next morning and asking him if he would let her go. And at first he said no, and then maybe. And and by the time morning came, he was saying, well, what time do you have to go? Mm-hmm. And when she was leaving, he was giving her money and saying that he wasn't going to need it. Really? Yes. And he offered to hang curtains for her. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and she called the uh, 
she called the police, and, and the man did surrender peacefully, which nobody would have expected after you know, right. all of the violence that had preceded that. But I think this is you know, yet another example of people going into this peaceful altered state where they can receive divine guidance and be shown how to conduct themselves in a way that can create a miracle in a situation that seemed hopeless. So tell us about this. How do we go to this place of deep inner peace? You know, I think it it often gets overly mystified in a lot of religions. It's actually, I believe, a state of deep meditation. But meditation is made to sound complicated, you know, and probably you'd have to do it for 20 or 30 years before you could hope for anything to come out of it. Um, I think the truth is people meditate throughout the day. I mean, if you've ever just sat, you know, with your mind sort of empty, staring into the middle distance, you've meditated. Um, That What's different is choosing to do that in the face of a very tumultuous and threatening situation. But if you know to do it, if you know that that's the right solution, then, and if you've practiced that solution, then you're very likely to use that. You know, one of the stories in the book is about a woman who uh, was told by a psychic that if she didn't learn to meditate, she was going to die. So she started taking a meditation course, and she, you know, she wasn't, she was thinking, well, eventually, or of an illness or something. Um, And what happened was she had been dating a man who she knew was an ex-convict. She wasn't very curious about what he had done, although the police later told her that he had beaten a woman to death and been convicted for it, and that they suspected him of having beaten a number of other women to death. So they went out together for a month or so. He seemed perfectly pleasant, but then he began going into some sort of psychotic state. And one day at his house, he announced that he was going to kill her. And he knocked her to the floor with a huge blow to the head. Then he sat down on top of her prone body, you know, holding a pillow over her face and beating her in the head at the same time. And she realized that, okay, you know, this is where the meditation comes in. (laughs) And so instead of, you know, trying to fight or struggle or upsetting herself, she went into a state of complete inner peace. And once in that state, she found it was almost like something took over her body and it began fighting back ferociously, so ferociously that this little woman uh, who was practically unconscious to begin with was able to hurt this guy so badly that he got off her and he told her that he was afraid she would have beat him to death. (laughs) So she escaped out of bathroom window and went to the police, but they couldn't find him. He had managed to disappear by then. But then he stalked her for several weeks after that and finally cornered her in a dark alley and was gloating, obviously, you know, now he was going to do what he had meant to do. And her meditation teacher had taught her a technique for lifting protective energy from, like, from the lowest chakra up to the top of the head by lifting the cupped right hand in front of the body. And so she did that, you know, and went into a state of meditation. And she said this man leaped at her, and it was like he was 
snatched up in midair by some invisible hand and tossed aside. <laughs> his, mm-hmm. his leap just changed trajectory in midair. And she said he got up and looked terrified and just ran away as fast Amazing. as he could. So, <laughs> What a shock. What a shock, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So it was all from meditation and, and having access to this deep inner peace. And, you know, yes. when I read your book, I, I thought about this. I used to sit Zen meditation in Minneapolis. And one day I looked at, uh, in the man's name, was Katagiri Roshi a Japanese man who came through the San Francisco Zen Center and established a Zen Center in in Minnesota. And I looked at Katagiri, and I had a real interesting thought because he had a very childlike and yet very acute attending demeanor. Mm -hmm. And it occurred to me that he was still in a state of meditation after he'd gotten (laughs) up off of his meditation cushion. Yes. (laughs) And I went, oh, my God. A permanent state. It was as illuminating as finding that Anthony's ego, my ego, was Mm -hmm. a portal. Yes. So this is... And so what about if we then have a continuing, ongoing state of meditation? Exactly. That would be a state of enlightenment because you would Uh constantly be in communion with the divine within you, um, you wouldn't be trying to make decisions on your own about how to handle things. And you would basically be drifting through your day in complete peace, being guided to the most appropriate response to everything that you encountered. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that would be bliss. That would be heaven. Because I've been working more and more towards that. So, mm-hmm. and, and this is also what you're talking about in yes, your book. Yes, indeed. Well, I'm Anthony Wright. I'm your host today, and my guest is Carolyn Godschild Miller, and we're talking about her new book. Now, this is a revised. Yes, this is a revised edition? from a version of this book that I wrote ten years ago. It's it's mostly new material. Okay. Um, but some of the basics are there from the old book. So we're talking about her book, Creating Miracles, and I'm Anthony Wright. And you're listening to Attunement. I'm Anthony Wright, and I'm here with my guest, Carolyn Godschild Miller. And that, and she's written a book called Creating Miracles, and this is a new version, as you were saying just before the break. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I saw in your book, Carolyn, is forgiveness. And you write, forgiveness is the key. Can you talk to us about forgiveness? Definitely. Um, I mentioned earlier that the perspective of the Course is that the world... The Course in Miracles. The Course in Miracles is that the world is a vast illusion. And what keeps it going is that we make the illusion real for ourselves by reacting to it, um, by getting mad at what's going on, by being indignant, um, by being afraid. And so, of course, Jesus emphasis when he was walking the earth was forgiveness. And now in the Course, one can understand more clearly what the whole point of that was. It's not just to be nice, although certainly it is nice and it does make the world a better place from that point of view. But if you're going to extricate your mind from illusion, you really have to stop making the illusion real by imagining that you're being affected by forces beyond your control. 
What the Course is teaching is that the world you particularly see is a projection of your mind. It may be projected onto the real world uh, that God is being out there, but you're not seeing the real world. You're seeing the world through the filter of your ego, um, which is constantly distorting it, adding a little something here, subtracting a little something there, to make it a place of fear and turmoil. And so the only way to get yourself out of that is to forgive everything that upsets you, whether it upsets you enormously like international terrorism or slightly like your dog pooping on the floor. <laughs> right, right. Um, you, you really have to get past the idea that um, you're being affected by things outside yourself and instead recognize that your mind is projecting these things and that you need to go back into peace. There's a couple of things that come to mind about that, or actually three or four. <laughs> um, the first one was last year during the elections when everybody was, there was this real mongering of fear, yes. sale of fear, and I'm going, wow, you know, and, and friends of mine who are of the, quote, liberal, unquote, persuasion were also buying the fear. And yes. I said, that is contributing exactly to what is being sold. Yes. And I said, I am going to take a stand for myself and choose whether or not I'm going to be fearful about something. And I'm choosing to be other than fearful. Wonderful. I'm going to attend to it, of course, and be discerning yes. about it. And yet I'm going to choose other than fear. The next point then is about this state of grace of, of, I guess I, there's nothing else that I know to really call it, mm -hmm. that fear is an ignorance it is. of the state of grace. Exactly. So that people who are offering fear are in ignorance of the unity of being, that yes. spirit is, of, yes. the unit, of the possibility that's really quite immediate. All and, you have to do is change your mind. Isn't that right? Well, yes. I mean, you know, when, when people get indignant about things, oh. they're actually polarizing the situation more. I mean, you know, any war that you can name comes about because people are vilifying each other. And uh, George is playing right into Osama yeah. bin Laden's right. trap. Right. In that way. In exactly that way. I mean, they're fueling each other. Though. Right after, you know, the, <laughs> the attacks um, on America, I think world opinion was largely on our side. And even in the Muslim community, um, I think Osama bin Laden was considered, you know, pretty much beyond the pale. And there was a week that everybody said, oh, my goodness, you know, what what are we going to do about this? Mm-hmm. And um, there's a real po there was a real possibility to make an enlightened response, which yes. many of us have chosen to make, I think. Yes. But anyway, continue. Well, it, um, you know, just what you're saying. Um, the Course says that we're responding with fear and anger to the things going on because we're misinterpreting them. And when you go into a state of inner peace and you ask spirit to tell you what's really going on and you're actually curious to see what more there might be there than what you've been seeing, um, you're often shown a way to look at the situation that allows you to 
appreciate and respect everybody involved in it, even if you see that, yes, you know, certain people are making mistakes. Um, well, in story after evil. story in your book, you illustrate people in really life-threatening situations, mm-hmm. uh, personal threatening situations. And, um, you know, I hear people saying, well, yeah, if somebody showed up at the door, you know, with a gun in their hand, I'd go get mine, you know. And, mm-hmm. But it comes to me, if we are letting go of this ignorance, that that person that just came to the door, the the guy that, that kidnapped this lady, mm-hmm. that's me. That's me at the door. It's, and that's me in a state, in such a state of fear yes. that they don't know what else to do other than respond in that violent or negative way. Yes. And what this lady who was so courageous to do was she said, I'm going to respond in a different way. And I think that's exactly right. And I think that she was guided to respond in that way. What the Course would say is that when you're confronted with a threat, don't you try to figure out at the level of your ego what to do about that. Instead, go within and ask for guidance. Mm -hmm. And... You know, there might be occasions when you were guided to go back and get your gun. Mm. I mean, that could happen too. Mm. But, you know, if there's some other way to handle the situation um, in a less confrontive way, which there usually is really, um, then that's what you would be guided to do instead. I mean, people in these stories that I've been gathering... They, they have a way of being uniquely appropriate in every situation. They seem to find the right thing to say, the right thing to do, that just opens that person's heart and makes them realize that, that you're not their enemy and that they don't have to do terrible things to you. I do a, a divination practice called the Yi Ching, uh-huh. and it keeps coming back to me and saying, trust your life. Really, just trust your life. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And even if Anthony's envelope, the body, goes away, it's still going to be it's just fine. Exactly. And there is this deep underlying harmony that... That, uh, that is invisible when yeah. we're living in fear. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And, you know, my eye is drawn to some notes I've written here about about this scientific bias, mm-hmm. uh, about, um, can you talk to us about the scientific bias and the amazing Randy, uh, in who you talk about, he's a, a psychic who went to debunk many of the, uh, ESP and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Right. He's actually a, a stage magician, right. an illusionist. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's, there is a, a fairly extensive movement, um, a foot among scientists to treat all alleged miracles as complete bunk and to come up with a different explanation for uh, what's going on, whether it's in any way plausible or not. Um, and and Randy is is very interesting because he's a he's a wonderful stage magician, and he's quite right that there's a lot of bunk that goes on. There are a lot of people... Charlatans and... Yeah, people who try to pretend that they're miracle workers in Mm -hmm. order to uh, get money from people or make themselves seem important. And, you know, one of the things I mention in the book is uh, that a few years ago, he 
unmasked a, a faith healer um, who supposedly was omniscient about the needs of people in the audience. He would just, he would, you know, sort of say someone's name and, oh, and you're concerned about this and you're concerned about that and this is going to happen. And the person would be completely blown away because these are their most intimate private affairs and Mm -hmm. how could anyone know that? Well, the way he could know that is his assistant had been circulating in the audience earlier, overhearing people's private conversations People had written prayer requests that she had access to backstage, and then she would speak through a microphone (laughs) that he had in his ear, sort of looking like a hearing aid, (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, yeah, looked great, but um, was really just a lot of hokum. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I do understand that um, you can't take all miracles at face value. There's certainly. another school of scientific thought called logical positivism. Yes. That says if you can't touch it and taste right. it and measure it, you know, then it isn't real. Well, and that school of philosophy actually has been out of favor since the 50s at least. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, people in the 50s sort of looked at the tenets of that approach to things and found all sorts of flaws with it. And so nowadays, you don't commonly run into logical positivists, but well, that thinking still, yeah. is, it, you know, people think that they, they have a scientific basis or a philosophical basis for just dismissing uh, miraculous phenomena without really looking at it. Right. And the, and the most hardcore of the logical positivists, I think, are the physicists. Well, you know, the physicists, go into too quantum yeah, reality. They, they have... So they've already gone through the other side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's happened in physics in the last um, 60 years or so is a complete turnaround. You know, in the early part of the century, uh, the idea in physics was that everything was very mechanical and um, very well defined. And with relativity and quantum theory, they began to realize that First of all, mind is real, that thoughts affect things very powerfully. Um, and these are with proven, yes. validated scientific experiments. Scientific experiments, yeah, and I don't think any physicists... Think of the double slit experiment and Bell's theorem and... Exactly, yeah. exactly. And there are even physicists today who believe that there must be some deeper level of the universe that stands outside the natural world. And you're talking with, about David Bohm's implicate order. Yes. Yes. And this is a place where, where we, from which the, the human mind generates its experience of reality. Mm-hmm. He says that we bring certain ideas into manifestation in our life by taking an interest in them, by thinking about them or worrying about them alternatively. And... Um, you know, so so this is beginning to sound more and more like A Course in Miracles. I mean, this implicate order is supernatural by definition. <laughs> so, and if, if, if our thoughts can bring things into manifestation, it only makes sense that they could change a condition in someone's life or a circumstance that's ongoing um, in an instant. And one of the arguments that's counter to this is they say, well, you can't take the events from the quantum realm and bring them into physical reality. But how do you know you can't? Well, (laughs) and this is one of the things that your book talks about. And you talk about 
people doing experiments for themselves, right? Yes, exactly. I think these are issues that are never going to be settled by science, and there are good reasons for that that I go into in the book that would be probably too technical to go into Mm -hmm. here. But basically what it comes down to is that miracles are an experience. And once you've had the experience, you know that they're real. And also you very often see the evidence in the physical world that something happened that, you know, you would have bet your life couldn't have happened. Um, but because, because they are experiential, um, there's always going to be doubt from the point of view of scientists that people are deluding themselves or, you know, and, and people are right to be skeptical about things that other people report. Right. But if you cultivate the experience yourself, then you know what it is you're experiencing. We're going to have to take a break now. I'm Anthony Wright, and we are talking with my guest, Uh, Carolyn Godschild Miller, who has written a book called Creating Miracles. And we'll be right back. You're listening to Attunement. I'm Anthony Wright, and we're talking with Carolyn Godschild Miller uh, about creating miracles. So before the break, you were talking about then uh, each person doing their own research and their own experimentation in their own life. Exactly. And the practical way is to go into a meditative state? Yes. Can you make requests? You know... God, please bring me some... Or, like, talk about prayer. Yeah. um, Yeah, this is a complicated issue because at one level, of course, you can make requests. And, you know, there's a whole positive thinking movement out there um, that says, you know, if you want the gold Rolls Royce or something, you just really fix your mind on it and repeat your mantra or whatever it is, and eventually it will come to you. And there's there's pretty good evidence that, that this can be made to work for a number of people. What the Course is saying with respect to miracles, however, is miracles should not be intentional. And what that means is that when you go into that surrendered meditative state, you're in a sense uniting your will with the will of God, And you're acknowledging, I don't really know what should happen in this situation. I don't know what's best for me. But I trust that whatever the mind of God sees as being the right thing will be plenty for me. So you kind of wait to be instructed and you wait to be shown. And of course, you know, with often some very incredible results. But it isn't... It's like the ego can use positive thinking for its own purposes, and often does. I mean, the things people are asking for are often, you know, material things that are not really going to improve their life. Uh, And part of them knows that. Yes, and part of them knows that. But, you you know, most of us spend our lives chasing the thing we think will make us all right, whether... You know, it's the relationship with the perfect person or, you know, the big job or fame or, you know, whatever else it happens to be. And Jesus really railed about this on the Sermon of the Mount. Oh, ye of little faith, you know, what are mm-hmm. you what are you doing chasing after this stuff? Exactly, because that's, you know, if you think about it, that's never where real satisfaction comes from. Yeah. I mean, if you think of the most joyous moments of your life, it's probably rolling around in the dirt with a child or, you know, (laughs) 
taking a walk with your dog in the mountains or, you know, just sharing a, a loving conversation. So to be with without somebody. to be without intentionality. Yes, to really let go of your ego's will so oh. that you can embrace God's will for you. You know, mm. I think it's embodied in that prayer, not my will, but thine, O Lord, be done in me and through me. And that seems to be the pattern that people follow. They're not going into this altered state and saying, defeat my enemy, God. <laughs> right. you know, or they're save just... me from rolling off the cliff or right. keep me safe from this person who's, you know, fight. No, they, they surrender. They surrender. And, and, you know, if it's God's will that they pass over at that point, right. okay, that'll be cool. And if there's something that can be done about it, that'll be cool, too. <laughs> so feels like I'm sort of working backwards to really understand here what are miracles and it's surrender and it's, it's yes. meditative state and it's it's the course says miracles are a change in consciousness and so it is that shift from the ego's view of everything it's it's stepping away from that into a place of of admitting that you don't really know anything and maybe you should Pay attention and, and allow the mind of God to show you what's actually going on in this situation and what's actually there. And because that the shift into that other consciousness, that is peace, that is joy. So in a sense, it's its own reward, even if the situation in the outside world doesn't undergo some extraordinary transformation. And, and it often doesn't. I mean, if you're terribly upset because your child is a drug addict, um, a miracle, for instance, yes, there could be a miracle such that it will help your son or your daughter uh, see a different way to do things. But even if that person is not willing or ready at this point to do that, you will be at peace you will be able to take a larger view and realize that this person has to go through what they have to go through, and you can stop upsetting yourself about it. You can stop interfering in ways that are only destructive. You can follow your guidance about what would be constructive if there's something you can do. And so it's really its own reward in those senses. Well, and as a psychologist, I'm I'm sure you would support the idea of that acceptance is the very first step mm -hmm. that anyone has to take in facilitating change in a situation. Yes. Is the acceptance and the forgiveness. Yes. And the of, forgiveness is critical because, uh -huh. you know, you, you can't go to God full of resentments or making somebody else wrong and bad and ask God to do something about that. When I say you can't do that, I mean, everyone does that, you know. I mean, the whole world is full of people making their enemies wrong. <laughs> but the universe isn't made up, well, I don't know, to, to respond in a way that you might want for, from that kind of approach. Yeah, I mean, that's that has nothing to do with reality. And I, you know, on either side of a war, there are people thinking God is on their side, um, I don't believe that that puzzling is, thing. God's on everybody's side. <laughs> well, and I've, I've been talking to a man named John Wellwood, who I've interviewed uh, on this show, and he talks about people being in pain. And to accept 
and embrace the other that's in pain and yes. make space to have that. I can just imagine the, the pain that the people who flew the planes into the yes. Trade Center must have been in yes. to, to have gone to such a state of ignorance yes. of the unity of being and thinking it was, you know, paradise is somewhere else than here. Mm-hmm. Now, that's an interesting illusion. Can you talk about that, about that, you know, uh, not only is hell a large lover, but... Uh, Many people are impelled to do strange things in the present by saying, oh, the reward is somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. The the Course really agrees with modern physics in saying that time is an illusion. Um, and that means there isn't any time else, or that what will appear to be another time is being built out of the consciousness that you're in at this moment. That's why when someone suddenly shifts into a state of deep inner peace, it's like the whole situation they're in is suddenly released to take some entirely different form. But by the same token, if you're in a state of aggression, resentment, self-righteousness, fear... Well, that's a tremendous momentum. Yeah, and you're building the next events that are going to occur out of those emotions. And so there is not going to be a moment when those kinds of negative emotions spawn a bright and happy future. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we're coming to the end of our time here. And as a, I'd like to ask you as, a, as a, an experimental psychologist, uh, what can you offer to our listeners that is some useful and practical applications about how to go into the meditative state, how to uh, evoke the synchronicity of miracles in one's own life? It's really, it really is um, just letting go of all of your preconceptions, all your thoughts about, I know what that person is doing, uh, I know what's really going on here, and I know what to do about it. And, you know, it's, it's just sort of cleansing your mind of that, even if only briefly, to enter a state of innocence where you can be shown, you know, if you're wrong in seeing certain things, you can be shown how to see them correctly because you're willing to be shown. And I think it's important for people to know this is not a big, complicated, hairy deal. Um, but it also requires the, the release of the investment in one's ego, yes, is that it right? Does. Yes, it does. And that's, you know, we don't want to release that. We want to hold on to our resentments. We want to be... Uh, right and have others be wrong. There's so much investment in that. Yes. And that's that's really the only thing that's holding us back. You know, and I come to an idea that I've explored that the word sin, one of the interpretations of sin, is to mistake. Huh. Mm-hmm. And so uh, to mistake, you know, that the wages of sin are death. Mm-hmm. Okay, the, the wages of mistaking or being ignorant, mm-hmm. are to die. Mm-hmm. Well, but that's also a release of itself, is it not? Well, yeah. I mean, the Course says nobody really dies, but, right. you know, within the fearful illusion we're in, that's sort of the culmination of the fear and misery, you know, for everyone that we can confidently expect in our lives. Um, but I think the truth really is, you know, when you we drop do your body, you just walk away from it and you're fine and right. you're not changed in any way except 
the people who used to be able to see you can't see you now. Right. So what you're saying, though, is why not let go now? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, people are waiting for a Savior. People are waiting for a Messiah. And the Course is making the point that it's always going to come down to your choice in a given moment to put your mind in a miracle mind to place or not to do that. And you can make that choice today as easily as you'll be able to make it in 10,000 years. So why put yourself through any more misery? And the source of that spiritual love is right at the center of your heart. Yes. As, as people come to surrender to that and release the investment of the ego that separates from that. Yes. But it also takes maybe some discipline, I suppose, to sit down and say, well, all of this momentum that I have going around me that this is happening and that's happening and that's happening are all bound up in who I thought I was. Yes. It uh, definitely takes some discipline. Yeah. Yeah. And some focus. Mm-hmm. This has been really wonderful. And is there some, uh, are, do you give seminars from time to time? And is there contact information that people can? can... Um, I can be contacted through the publisher. And um, do you have a website? Or... I don't have a website. Okay. Um, so that's but a, I love to hear from readers. And, and that's in fact, at New World Library at www.newworldlibrary.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and I imagine you can go, people can go on that website and, and there's a place to send email there right. and also some letters. So do you have some final words for us before we're done? I guess I just want to say categorically that miracles are real and there's no reason why everybody shouldn't be experiencing them all the time. Um, there's a simple practical method that you can follow that's been endorsed by religions throughout the world, really. Um, and if you want to know if they're real, why not try doing that and then see what happens? You know, I think you'll be very pleased with the results. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. I really appreciate having you be on our show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And I'm talking with my guest, Carolyn Godschild Miller, and we're talking about her book, Creating Miracles, which is available now in your local bookstore. And you can also go to the website of New World Library at www.newworldlibrary.com for more information about Carolyn's book. I'm Anthony Wright, and you are listening to Attunement.